And we're live. Friends from around the world, welcome to the great debate. Not a debate where both sides work to defeat one another, rather a debate where both sides come together to find common ground. That's what makes this debate great. And it's great to have you here with us. Today, Armenia, Azerbaijan, this will be our second debate on this topic. After our first one, we got tremendous response from both Armenians and Azerbaijanis. They seem to really enjoy it and they asked for more. And as you know, when the community asks for something, we make it happen. Everyone here with us today, it's great to have you. A reminder before we get started to keep the chat respectful. People who are spamming the chat or acting rude are gonna be banned. After this debate, we're gonna move it over to Discord for an after party. If you're not familiar with Discord, well, come and find out, but the conversation will continue and community members will have an opportunity an opportunity to interact with our guests. I'm gonna drop a link in the chat in a moment. If you're new to this page, like and subscribe. And if you really like what we do, we have a Patreon, a PayPal, and we also accept Bitcoin and Ethereum. All support is greatly appreciative and it helps us on our mission to aid in the reconciliation process between people in conflict. That's what we're all about. It's great to have you all here with us. Without further ado, a great pleasure to bring on my two guests. To my top left, Emin Mili, a journalist and the founder and former director of Maiden TV, the largest independent online media in Azerbaijan. And to my top right, Vikin Chitarian is a lecturer in history and international relations at the University of Geneva and at Webster University, Geneva. Emin, Vikin, it's great to have you both here with us. Thank you. Uh, if you want to find out more about our guests, you could find their full bio in the in the description, as well as their Twitters, if you want to get in touch with them or follow them. The focus of today's topic is going to be solutions for the future. Most debates are seem to get caught up in history, pointing fingers, who started it, whose fault it is. While we do see importance of having a historical discussion at times, more than anything, we need to talk about the future and how we can move forward. So that will be the theme of today's debate. So let's get started. Emin, we'll start with you. Please share with us what your vision for the future of relations between Azerbaijan and Armenia is. Thank you very much, uh, Adar. And um, I welcome Viken also. Uh, and I'm very glad that we can have this uh, unusual discussion. To be honest, you know, when, we, when you approached me and said, Let's have, uh, you know, another debate. And there were so many. And what I was missing in all those debates was actually very little talk about the future, very little talk about solutions. Uh, it is usually <clears throat> there are maybe about, about 100 problems uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And in every debate, we all just go either to history or accusing each other or uh, trying to solve 100 problems at the same time. And I think this, is, uh, this will bring us nowhere. It has not brought us anywhere. Uh, so I'm very thankful that um, <clears throat> you all agreed uh, to have um, a little bit different debate, a little bit, a little bit different discussion, uh, I hope even maybe. Um, so what is this um what what how can we move forward you know as armenian azerbaijan 
in my view, uh, and I will <clears throat> tell you my own experience, you know, when I, uh, when I was eight, 10 years old, I think when you grow up in Armenia or in Azerbaijan, it's very difficult not to be nationalist. You know, it's uh, both Armenia and Azerbaijan, you know, are basically young states, uh, meaning that, you know, after collapse of Soviet Union, they gained their independence. And um, so it was very uh, difficult to avoid and because of this conflict and war, there was this always animosity, accusations. And when you grow up in school, when you just always under this kind of attack of information, how bad the other side is, you almost have no chances to think differently about it. Um, so I'm telling this just to acknowledge, you know, where I am coming from myself and where many people in Azerbaijan and Armenia are coming from. <clears throat> there are historic grievances, there are injustices, um, and um, at some point uh, you realize that uh, we can keep accusing each other for another 100 years or 1,000 years, but uh, this will not bring us anywhere. Uh, we need to find, we need to imagine the future, we need to dream about it if necessary. Uh, we need to start discussing the solutions, uh, future-oriented solutions. Uh, I'm sure there will be solutions or ideas that we we won't agree with or not all Armenians or all Azerbaijanis will agree with. Uh, but I think we need to start somewhere. Uh, and I think <clears throat> to start somewhere, I don't think that Armenian and Azerbaijan societies at large are ready for such dialogue, you know. Uh, but I am absolutely sure that we can find some adequate uh, people on Armenian and Azerbaijan side to start structured dialogue uh, on very on some very specific topics. Um, in my view, it would be maybe very useful. And coming back to my initial idea, I don't think that it's a good idea to start discussing everything because. We, again, <clears throat> we will lose energy. We won't come to agreement. There will be many, too many disagreements. Um, and uh, it will be like, you know, I think we're like stuck in the past. We are trapped. And in order to get out of this, <clears throat> in my view, we need to very carefully to choose some areas <clears throat> with very specific people, uh, scholars, um, uh, intellectuals, um, policy professionals, uh, people who can talk to each other, and we need to use um, <clears throat> kind of <clears throat> the status-neutral approach. We need to use certain tools, um, talk about things that can be beneficial both to Armenia and Azerbaijan, where both sides can see benefits. Um, and I think that uh, there are some themes like this. I think there are not many, but few people who can start this process. Um, I think this maybe should happen uh, in a way also behind closed doors, but when it will be more or less ready to go public, we can also take it you know, to public. We can uh, involve even governments and international uh, uh, players and actors too, but at the very beginning, it's very fragile, it's a very sensitive issue, so we need to start, in my view, quite small. Um, uh, I think that it would be very important, in my view, to start from the issues of economic connectivity. 
because, you know, for 30 years, there have been, you can say, almost no contact between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, I know very well a lot of peace, peace initiatives. I've been part of some of them. And I remember it's several people who, you know, come together, hug each other, drink together, but, you know, they don't represent the majority of Armenian and Azerbaijan societies. And I think we should avoid that. We should really involve people who are, who may represent, you know, the, the majority opinions or, uh, but they, uh, they also are adequate. Uh, so they are, they can, um, you know, put their emotions aside and they can uh, very practically talk about the issues that actually can bring us together, things that will be in the interest of majority of Armenian people and majority of Azerbaijani people uh, and states too. Um, so uh, let, let's get me, let's get, let, let's, let me get a bit more specific about it. I talked about economic connectivity, and I'm not saying that this should be exclusive topic. There may be other topics too, and we have, again, to think about it, what are those other topics that will not ignite another wave of hatred and mutual accusations, but actually could, you know, move us, you know, forward, uh, even with small steps. And uh, but, but let me start with economic connectivity. I think... When I talk about an economic co connectivity, uh, I'm thinking about, first of all, opening borders, opening communication. I know it's partly happening, but, you know, right now, if, if I see it correctly, there will be some transport communications opened. But I have not seen anyone talking about, you know, freedom for Armenians and Azerbaijanis, you know, uh, travel to Armenian Azerbaijan mutually. Uh, I think we have to start talking about this I th as a part of opening borders. Uh, I, I think that we need to think about future trade and custom regimes um, because um, we need to stimulate local trade uh, between uh, border regions. Uh, I, I dream that one day uh, when uh, of one day when I, I believe there should be no passport control between Armenia and Azerbaijan. I think all Armenians should be able to come to Azerbaijan and vice versa. Um, for this to happen, of course, we need to start doing, um, as I said, you know, uh, to promote trade, economic cooperation, business partnerships. And I'm thinking about, for example, free economic zones. I think that uh, special economic spaces um, in the field of uh, comparative advantage, such as uh, construction materials or uh, agriculture. Uh, if we create special con conditions and a very favorable uh, tax regime for um, goods and services, which will be produced on, you know, borders, of where two communities live, we could basically promote uh, trade on a very small local um, uh, level because I think it's important. We shouldn't end up just, you know, big corporations or big companies, states just cooperating with each other. I think it's very important that people living on, uh, on the border in these areas, they should start seeing, you know, firsthand... Uh, the positive side of talking to other side of 
um, building businesses together, trading together. So I think that this could be uh, this could be something that would help this process. Um, infrastructure, um, of course, we need to create infrastructure uh, in all of Karabakh uh, and all of you know this border area between Armenia and, and Azerbaijan. Uh, and I think that uh, this will demand a lot of, um, I think, maybe tens of billions of dollars. And the question is where we will get this money. Uh, I think uh, it could be a good idea to create the uh, Karabakh Development Fund because, you know, if we want private sector, uh, you know, invest in these areas and big projects, you know, even medium projects or other projects, we need to um, uh, to find a way uh, to mitigate some of the risks. And I think this would be a good idea to, uh, to, to think about. Um, I'm uh, throwing here ideas, and I'm not saying that all of these ideas will work. Uh, so I, I think that uh, once we create this stru structured dialogue, um, we will have to have rounds of dialogues and discussions uh, about um, um, about the how realistic are some of these ideas. You know, because uh, these ideas can only be implemented if. Uh, if we all or, or the participants and, uh, um, you know, could realistically assess if this idea would be support, these ideas would be supported both in Azerbaijan and in Armenia and also by governments, but also by, you know, uh, by ordinary people. Um, I think it's very necessary. And then based on that, you know, dialogue on these rounds of dialogues, we could learn lessons from that. We could develop those in policy recommendations to Armenian government, Azerbaijan government, but also to international financial institutions, to EU, to um, uh, development agencies of different countries like, you know, USAID, SIDA and others. Um, I think that it would be very important to create a EU Eastern Partnership Investment Fund. I know that um, European Union and Western countries generally feel themselves uh, sidelined, uh, and they they are there is this um, feeling that uh, you know uh, if, if if Russia and Turkey kind of <clears throat> went into you know solving this conflict in the way they wanted, then they should pick up the bill, you know. And I think I, I understand this feeling, but I think that if ambition of European Union and of United States is really uh, peace and security in South Caucasus, uh, then I think that this pride or this feeling should be uh, overcome. And I think that there are a lot of tools, a lot of possibilities how both US and European Union can engage Armenian, Azerbaijan, and maybe you know regional powers uh, and uh, uses the tools that, you know, Turkey, Russia do not have. Um, uh, and here, for example, the investment fund could be one of ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking about peace fund, about uh, basically, when I say, let me go back to investment fund. When I say investment fund, I mean promoting business cooperation and finance ventures across conflict divides. So I, I'm thinking about basically uh, if, if Armenians are creating businesses 
uh, and they can get money from these funds, Armenian businesses, but they need as a condition to have one, at least one Azerbaijani business partner and vice versa as well. Uh, so that kind of basically push, that kind of uh, idea maybe also could be considered and discussed within the structured dialogue and we could see what kind of examples are there and what, what would work or would not work between Azerbaijan and Armenia. I'm also thinking about peace fund. I think that people-to-people contacts would be very important. Um, and I think that could be also uh, developed. I, I'm thinking also that um, there was recently a very good initiative that U.S. Congress committed to a program that USAID will implement by its two programs. Um, uh, they, the U.S. Congress committed $250 million dollars to support basically, you know, peace building initiatives and uh, economic cooperation, business partnership between Israelis and Palestine uh, and people uh, from Palestine, uh, and uh, and I think that this is exactly what I would like also to see. For example, imagine we take power of Armenian lobby, and we take also, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the allies of Azerbaijani government. And we direct it not at fighting each other, but basically attracting such investments in Karabakh, Azerbaijan, Armenia, to, to all this entire, basically, uh, place. Um, and, and I think that this is what we have to discuss. You know, we, we often have been trapped in this, you know, what we're going to win if we fight each other. Uh, but there was, unfortunately, very little discussion what we can win you know, if we actually start, you know, putting our forces together. Um, I will stop here, but I will be glad to continue going maybe deeper in this and other ideas after weekend's presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, so, so, so uh, where I'm getting where some echo. Okay. So, Vikin, the same question to you. What is your future for the future your vision for the future of relations between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and also feel free to respond to anything Amin said or, or build off that. The floor is yours, friend. Adar, thank you for inviting me, and Amin, I'm glad we are having this discussion and to meet you um, virtually, but still to meet you. Uh, before my, I answer your, your question, uh, first I want to make a comment. I know that your intention is not to have a cockfight between I mean, the, the Azerbaijani and Viking the Armenian, but the, the, the format suggests uh, something of that, right? Uh, especially the graphic representation uh, of the announcement with our kind of portraits, with the flags in the back. You see, there's no flag in the back here. Uh, so I just wanted to say that I have no mandate to represent uh, any Armenian uh, kind of community. I, so I'm just representing my own ideas and I imagine Emin is, is doing the same. So judge uh, our event based on this uh, ideas of Emin and Viken and not as, uh, you know, two people representing two, two bigger communities. Now, um, when we talk about the future of Armenia and Azerbaijan, we are talking about the Karabakh conflict. Karabakh conflict is very easy to solve. And I will explain you how. But before doing that, I have a second statement, which is Karabakh conflict is impossible to solve. Basically, it depends on what level you pose the question. If you say 
what's the problem between Armenians and Azeris? Let's think about it. And you place it on a very pragmatic level. And you bring, you create a committee saying, let's make a list. What these people have as, as a problem? So probably you will get security problem, right? Uh, Karabakh Armenians, they have security problem. Armenian and Azerbaijani villagers on the border uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan, where for years they were shooting at each other, they have a security problem. There are landmines, security problem. Uh, there's the question of IDPs and the refugees. This is a very concrete problem. There's the, the problem of sense of injustice. This is a very concrete problem. So those problems comes under my first heading. It's very easy to solve. If you have a pragmatic approach saying what are the problems and how can we solve it? Now, the problem is that for the last 26 years, that is between the first war and the second war, the Karabakh question was never discussed. Armenian-Azerbaijani relations were never discussed as a practical problem where people say, okay, we have questions, we have issues, let's discuss how to find solutions. Because the Karabakh problem, problem was made an identity issue. Uh, Azerbaijan, Azerbaijani identity was dependent from the Karabakh issue. Armenian identity was dependent from the Karabakh issue. For example, when the war exploded, uh, many people, I, I live in Geneva in Switzerland, so many Swiss friends told me, is it true that uh, Shushi slash Shusha in Azerbaijani is the Jerusalem of the Armenians? And I was shocked, you know, how, how come Shushi, Shusha is Jerusalem, you know? Uh, there's no religious symbols in that town. Uh, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's nothing to compare to, to, to Jerusalem. So this idea of, of taking places and turning them into symbols, turning them into an identity issue, makes it impossible to solve. How can you compromise on your identity? You cannot. So what we have to do is... To, to, to find a solution for the future is to abandon making Karabakh, making Armenian-Azerbaijani relations an issue of, uh, you know, uh, identity, of national egoism, and we should go down on the level of pragmatism and calculate what are the problems and how, how can we solve them. And I assure you, the solution for those very Huge problems, you know, security, IDPs, refugees, justice. Those are huge problems. I'm not underestimating them. But the cost to solve those problems compared to the cost of the Cold War between 94 and 2020 and the several hot wars, including the 44 days of war in 2020, plus the billions of dollars spent on armament, on machines of killing, uh, the cost of solving the problems would have been a small fragment of the cost spent for warfare. Now, um, I, I was listening to Emin, and I think uh, he, he was placing himself or, or his suggestions would be on the level of what the state could do. Opening borders is not something I can do. And I don't think that it's something Emin can do. That's the, the business of states. Uh, economic connectivity. Also, it's the, the, the role of businessmen. I'm not in, in, in business. What we should do, people like Emin and Vikan, 
and people of our sort, intellectuals. What we should do is, first of all, uh, assume our responsibility, because we share a responsibility in what happened uh, in the first Karabakh war, in the second Karabakh war, and in the long 26 years when this problem was not solved. Because intellectuals, the intelligentsia, historians, uh, political scientists, instead of being part of the solution, have been in the vast majority part of the problem because they reproduced ideas uh, of, of the second sort instead of, of the first sort I, I uh, elaborated earlier. They produced ideology of antagonism. They produced nationalist ideology. And first of all, we should uh, be critical of, of, of our past because we share the responsibility in uh, bringing this second war happen. And then we should think what we can do so that we avoid you know, reproducing this antagonism in the future and bringing the debate on very pragmatic level, not on a level of this uh, identity making and this romantic ideas of, of the nation, which basically comes from 18th and 19th century. It's not very contemporary of our times. And we should uh, develop ways and develop spaces where we critically engage not only our own work, not only what we, we produce, but also what the state is doing. So uh, intellectuals should, should detach themselves from be, being surrogates of state and becoming um, instruments of state propaganda. And instead of that, uh, intellectuals should be um, agents of producing ideas, of, of producing alternatives, of developing um, different ways of thinking about these problems and eventually imagining solutions. Thank you, Vikin. Uh, Emin, feel free to, to respond as you wish. This part, th these were opening statements. From here on out, we will have just a free-flowing conversation. I may chime in and ask questions and bring some direction, but the, the floor is really yours to share now and, and continue this discussion. Yeah, I, I want just to add that um, I, I do not disagree that we should do uh, tackle the issues of injustices, you know, on both sides, because obviously if we want to um, uh, to move forward, we will have to find a way how do we address these, you know, grievances, injustices that exist on both sides. Uh, we, we need to, you know, we really need to sit, you know, not to do it publicly, but to sit in, in my view, in a closed room. I mean, several adequate people and honestly try to find a way how it can be done in the right way. Uh, so I'm, I'm not arguing with that. What, uh, but I think that the issues of economic connectivity, uh, it's true that uh, it is ultimately in the power of states to do this, but I think we should not allow states just monopolize this. I think that uh, when I was talking about the structured dialogue, I was thinking about scholars, policy professionals, so about people who have intellectual power to advise both states and to engage with international players. Uh, because, you know, uh, we could end up developing ideas 
that states would hesitate to do or not. But let's say some international players will say, okay, uh, we could, let's say, uh, invest, uh, I don't know, 100 million, 50 million, or uh, I don't know how much into this idea if our, both Armenian and Azerbaijan governments would support this. So by this, we are actually um, using the intellectual power and international players also to put some pressure or to produce ideas and then to create environment where you could convince governments to do it. Whether if left on their own, maybe they wouldn't do it or they would hesitate. But if you create um, a very good, uh, first intellectually and then you know, policy-wise and then maybe PR-wise and may, then maybe involving, again, international actors into pushing this uh, a little bit, then, you know, you could influence, you know, policymaking. And I think we should not uh, withdraw ourselves completely from uh, areas what, what, uh, where, where states make decisions because at the end of the day, uh, people who are, you know, in charge of the states, they're also people, and they also, you know, they are. They also can benefit from the ideas that you know scholars and policy professionals and business people can uh, produce. Uh, and I'm saying business people. I think it's very important to include business people in this, because, um, for example, when I'm thinking about, uh, let me throw another idea. I, I'm thinking that we need uh, to to have. Um, uh, to have, we need to support to find a way to support innovative, innovative tech projects where we would have Armenian and Azerbaijan coders together, or Armenian and Azerbaijan tech entrepreneurs together. Uh, so, for to support this, we could have, uh, if, if for example, if you have EU Commission saying, okay, uh, we're gonna give, I don't know, we will support, for example, ten projects, ten startups. 100,000 euros each, but it should be joint armenian Azerbaijani um, enterprises, uh, startups. Uh, what you create by this is you involve uh, very powerful stakeholders. I, you know, for last 30 years, we, we have to learn also the bad lessons we had. You know what? One of the problems we had for last 30 years, we had people being involved in peace building, who had very little or no influence in their own societies, you know? And I think that if we want to avoid that, if we want to uh, really to move beyond that, we need to involve powerful stakeholders. We need to try as scholars, as individuals, as people to influence our governments and other governments and international players. Uh, we need to influence... Um, uh, business people, engage them, make alliances with them. And I think this is very important part of this path, you know, forward. Because without this, uh, and then what I'm talking about is building constituency, you know, for peace. Because I don't believe that just um, some people meeting and talking about peace, peace will come. Uh, it is very important. I'm not denying this fact. But what I'm saying is we need to have a strategy and we need to do alliance building, both in Armenia and Azerbaijan and global Azerbaijan, global Armenia, including, you know, our allies, our friends. We need to think what to do with, you know, politicians uh, in in US, in uh, Europe, in Russia, in Turkey, who just take one side, you know. 
I think this is very, very serious problem because um, when when uh, we can talk about nationalism in in, in both communities, uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting that we have this also the longer arm of this, which goes to you know American politics, goes to you know European politics, you know, in different countries, you know, the same in Russia, in Turkey. So uh, I think we also need to have a strategy about that. I think that politicians who under, you know, no matter what package, they, they basically support these divisions, you know, or, or do bash one or the other side. They do not help peace and security, you know. So, uh, again, this is a yet another example how we need to engage with very powerful forces in order to influence them. And sometimes we need to, you know, I'm not saying exposing them. I'm not saying let's attack them. But I, I think we need to um, start to plan and then openly, you know, find the ways how we communicate to these people and even to those, you know, to American public, to European public, uh, how we see how they could support us, how they could support this process. So my point is, again, engaging governments, engaging business communities, engaging creative Armenians and Azerbaijanis, you know, uh, that, that is, in my view, the key to finding solution. And, and unless we engage them, unless we make alliances with these very powerful creative groups, you know, if we end up just, um, I don't know, um, uh, several activists or some several journalists, you know, talking about peace, sharing ideas, this will not work. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you are saying. Um, I know that um, having a very marginal group of people uh, away from the region, uh, sitting in a hotel somewhere and talking peace is not the solution. Um, yet, I'm, I want to, to, to be more realistic and say that now we are in a different uh, period. We are uh, out of the 26 years of grosso modo uh, status quo that, that we had. There's a new reality in front of, of us. But there's also a new global reality. We are in the middle of a pandemic. And, and I don't see that foreign banks and states uh, are rushing to come and save Armenians and Azeris from, from their infighting, and they will bring uh, bags of money to, to rebuild Karabakh. I don't see that happening. So we have to tell Armenians and Azerbaijanis that, listen, guys, you are alone. You want to, to find a solution to your conflict? Talk to each other. There's no other way. Let's not build illusions that Europeans, Americans, Russians, Turks, uh, Iranians, or Israelis will save Armenians and Azeris. That will not happen. The solution is to talk to each other. The only problem is that now uh, talking to each other has become more complicated. Talking to each other was possible for 26 years, and Yerevan and Baku uh, did everything to hinder that. I knew it because for something like 10 years I was working on uh, two, two major programs of having dialogue and having uh, long-term research and exchange projects between Armenian and Azerbaijani journalists, social scientists, and so on. And for a while in the beginning, it was possible. And then the states didn't want it, and they closed the tab. So when states don't want it, um, our mer margin of maneuver becomes very reduced. Then you are pushed to the margin, and you are pushed outside the region. I mean, you know yourself, right? I mean, you are not living in Baku anymore. 
because there's a pressure, and these two questions are linked. The, the, the pressure on pl pluralism, democracy, uh, dissident ideas within one society and on the ethno-territorial conflict, they are linked with each other. And uh, the authorities in Baku and Yerevan for the last 20 years, they preferred not to have dialogue, not to have alternative ways of thinking about the conflict, rather than having uh, pluralism and having uh, a debate about these issues. Um, now we are in a different situation, as I said. Uh, this incredible historical present of 26 years of largely stable uh, situation is gone. And now Armenia is much more dependent on Russia. Now, Karabakh Armenians are totally dependent on Russia. And now Azerbaijan has a very complex situation where it cannot by itself go and talk to Yerevan. There are the Russians who are there and there are the Turks who are there. So the, the framework of how the future debate will take place, it's, it's much more complex. And this is the price both states and both communities are paying, apart from the thousands of young people killed and thousands of young people wounded, both countries have less sovereignty today and have less to say on their uh, mutual relation and mutual future than before 27 September 2020. And we have to take this into account. And uh, just to finish on, on a rather positive uh, tone, the only positive thing is that now we have a new opportunity where both Armenian and Azerbaijani uh, publics and maybe government circles, maybe, I say maybe because uh, I don't see the, the signs yet there, but within the public, I find that people are ready to, to look for different voices, different ways of moving forward. And there is our main treasure today. There's the political capital. And again, me, I cannot decide on borders. I cannot decide on, on huge investments. But what I can do is to invest my time, energy, and my intellectual possibilities for looking at uh, not only alternative ways for the future, but also having a radical, critical reading of the past. Where did we fail as single community, as uh, two communities, but also as intellectuals, so not, not just to, 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 you know, to criticize ourselves, but to see where were our mistakes, what were the hypotheses which led us to mistakes, and how, we, how can we correct it in the future so that we don't repeat the same mistakes again and again in the future. Thank you, Vicky. Emin, real quick, um, okay. I just want to give a little bit perspective. I'm by no means an expert on Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict. My area of expertise is more the Israel-Palestine conflict, but I, I see many parallels. And this conversation does remind me of similar conversations we have that when it comes to peace building, there's different approaches that, that we can take and different approaches that we should take. One is in the form of reconciliation. It's having conversations. It's acknowledging a wrongdoing, working on building strong interpersonal ties with one another. And that's really, Vic, and what, what you're talking about. And then there's more policy. How can we have businesses together? How can we have more freedom of movement? How, how can we travel to each other's land? How can we have security? So 
I, I see great value in both these conversations because ultimately, ultimately they're b- both going to be needed. And what we need is activists and intellectuals and influencers to speak both these messages. We need a, we need policy positions to be part of the collective consciousness, but we also need the reconciliation process to be fully invested in on an emotional level. So I, I see great value in, in what you are both speaking about here. Um, and with that, I mean, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. And I, I want just to make clear my position that I'm not against, uh, you know, Armenians and Zerbjini uh, talking to each other directly. I'm absolutely for this. I think this is very important and it should happen and it should happen more and more. And as I said, uh, I, I'm not a believer that, you know, masses need now to communicate with masses. I think that um, the avant-garde part of Armenian, you know, community and absorption community need to kind of find each other, select each other and start this process very slowly in a form of structured dialogue and, and first discuss between themselves, you know, like what can Azerbaijanis do to win, you know, empathy of Armenians and vice versa, because there will be certain things that probably we cannot do, at least not now and vice versa. And then we may, you know, find out during these dialogues that, we could do something which would, you know, be very well perceived in Armenia, but we had even no idea about it and it would be acceptable for us. And the same, you know, with Armenians. So I think that uh, I, um, just to make myself clear, I'm absolutely for this uh, direct dialogue. I see value in it. That's why I said, you know, about this people to people, you know, uh, communications through the peace fund maybe and so on. Uh, and, and any other initiatives, yes. But uh, I think that, um, that that's that's absolutely. I'm, I'm not against it, so I, I'm for it. Uh, but uh, at the same time, as I said, I think we do need engage powerful actors. We need we do need to influence them, and we should not just leave them alone, you know, on their own. And we should engage powerful international actors too. I want to, uh, uh, since uh, we can mention my own case, I want to give you again this as example. You know, when I started Made on TV, you know, the government was totally against it. It's still against it. The government doesn't like Made on TV. I left Made on TV two years ago. I have nothing now to do with Made on TV. You know, but when I'm thinking that just me and several other colleagues, we created from scratch uh, a media, independent media that still exists you know, after it's found the left, which is very rare in Azerbaijan. In Azerbaijan, you know, when a person who found something leaves, then everything collapses, you know, uh, not always, but mostly. Uh, and um, so that was a good example. And this is why, because we had a vision from the very beginning to create institution. So it will exist without me or other people who were there. And at the very beginning, it was very hard. Yes, we had to pay the price, you know. But uh, eventually, we found international allies. We found allies in Azerbaijan. So what Maidan TV did is now about, you know, 10 to 20% of entire Azerbaijan watching it, you know. And it's not just watching. It has impact on policies in Azerbaijan. But most importantly, you know, we, you know, we, we always show a lot of social economic issues. And so the government officials and fellow citizens go and help those people whose problems were showing, you know, right? My my friends now told me that 
if you if we show 100 reportages about problems of people, you know, individual social economic problems or community problems, out of 100 reportages, 100 cases are being solved. So government is watching this and they are trying to solve the problem. Unfortunately, they're not solving it maybe systematically on a policy level, but it still changed lives of people every day. So, uh, and this happens again, because right now the government kind of accepted the realities that Maidan TV exists, you know? And uh, to my knowledge, they have not been jailing or touching anyone from Maidan TV, at least since I left it, you know? Uh, so uh, my my point is here that sometimes uh, even people who have nothing to do with state, you know, from civil society, individuals, by coming together, finding powerful allies, we I'm not saying we can change completely the situation, you know, but we can influence things, we can push things. And in case of our conflict, the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict, I think that dynamics of this conflict changed. The we can point it out the negative parts of it, but there are also positive parts. The positive part is that uh, what is happening now, what we didn't see in last 30 years, about 30 years, is that the, there are governments are talking about opening, you know, communication, transport links. Uh, there was no talk of this, or it was not a reality for the last 30 years. And today, the, the, Turkey that was against it, or, you know, Russia that was, you know, I don't know, against it, but was not helping it at least, they are part of it and they are pushing for it. So there are forces now, even beyond Armenian Azerbaijan, that are pushing in this specific case for something very good. And this is new dynamics. So when you consider the fact that there is this new dynamic now in this conflict, um, I think that it's even more important and there are even more chances that the things that I was talking about, the structured dialogue, the policy recommendations, developing maybe white papers, you know, to international development agencies where you basically can connect uh, economic connectivity with development aid and technical assistance, it can and blend it in so it can actually push things in the right direction and i agree with you it could be it may not work you know there is no guarantee that this will work but if there was a time to do it then the time is now if there is a time to try it then the time is now many of my azerbaijani friends they say i mean this is what you're saying is unrealistic i had some german or european politicians telling me i mean what are you talking about we are getting every day tens, hundreds of hate emails from Armenian and Azerbaijan. They are saying you are they are destroying our cultural heritage. They are saying they are you know, destroying our cultural uh, heritage. They are killing us. They are hating us. So they are getting all these emails, okay, all this communication. And then several people are coming and talking about all these dreams and all these you know, good things. And they are also confused. They say, well, but why, why do you think it's possible? And I'm saying, look, uh, you cannot expect that after 30 years of hate and war and, you know, mutual destruction, this society, this hate cannot just evaporate, you know, it cannot just fade away. I mean, it is naive to expect it. But I think there can be some forward-looking people, both from Azerbaijan and Armenian community, both from Armenian and um uh, Azerbaijan governments, 
both from academia, from, you know, Armenian and Azerbaijan sides, uh, civil society, business people, they are very few. I mean, just to make myself clear, I don't think that the masses or all business people or all academics, uh, you know, Armenians, Azerbaijans will support this. But I know a few people who will. And I, I'm sure there are also a few people on the Armenian side who would love, you know, at least to explore those ideas. And I think that that should be our target, you know, really to create a small circle of people, you know, put them on a small boat and, you know, let them just, you know, float around the world and discuss these ideas and turn them and really, again, not to attack each other, but really to try honestly to understand what would realistically work for both sides, you know, at least what is worth trying. Because I think that we can come up and say many things now, but if this will not adopt it in Armenia or in Azerbaijan, um, so, you know, we, we need to also to discuss a strategy. Maybe certain things will be adopted in Azerbaijan and Armenian society, but you cannot do it at once. You cannot just go public and, you know, just start throwing this at these people who, who are licking their bounds, you know, after this war, you know, which just happened. So, um, so in my view, all these, uh, again, I, I don't see basically a point where I would disagree with Wiccan with what he was saying. Uh, I'm all for it. What I'm saying is we should do both. We cannot just do one of it. And I personally, of course, believe that these uh, engaging governments, international players, and trying to convince them to invest in this, uh, it will create the right vibes, the right context, environment. And I'm not just saying, uh, and I agree with this also, first of all, it will be us who will help us, you know. It will be it's only Armenian Azerbaijan that can, first of all, you know, help ourselves and each other. Uh, and we need to understand this. And I want to say here another thought, because I know that, there is now euphoria in Azerbaijan and there is deep sadness in Armenia. But, you know, I want us also to look beyond that. You know, in 90s, the geopolitical weather was on the side of Armenia. You know, they thought they solved the conflict. Now the geopolitical weather was on the side of Azerbaijan. A lot of people in Azerbaijan think they solved the conflict. But uh, I don't believe in that. I think that if we don't use this moment to start, you know, solving this conflict together in a meaningful way, what will happen is another 10, 20 years, and then, you know, another war can start, you know, and I don't want this. And I, I think that nobody who loves Armenian Azerbaijan should not want this. Uh, so we have now this, uh, you know, some time really to think and to debate and to discuss and to prepare something that could work. At least we should try this. Uh, I want to pick up, pick up the, the idea that Emin mentioned that uh, borders and communications are being opened up. Uh, this is being done not because uh, Baku and Yerevan decided, this is being done because Moscow decided. Uh, which in itself is not good, it's not bad, that's the reality. Now my concern is that when you open borders and when you have communities that for 30 years they just heard one-sided nationalist propaganda about how bad the neighbor is, I have difficulties imagining how these people are going to have daily life you know, uh, uh, with, with this kind of neighbors next to them. If we, 
intellectuals, we don't offer them an alternative nar- narrative away from this polarizing and antagonistic nationalism, then we will put these villagers, because they are mainly villagers uh, in Karabakh or border areas, in, in an impossible situation. So it's our responsibility, instead of fighting over culture, fighting uh, over, over the past, imagine how to look forward, imagine how to develop a narrative so that this normalization process uh, happens and doesn't end up into a nightmare because both are possible. This opening up, either it will bring, uh, as Emin said, exchanges, uh, trade, investment, and prosperity, which I doubt because, you know, the oil is not is in the Caspian. It's not in Karabakh. So foreigners, will, neither foreigners nor local investors will run to invest in Karabakh. Basically, Karabakh is, uh, is a mountainous region and it's a burden on, on any state budget. So uh, let's not overestimate the economic potential of Karabakh. There might be some tourism. There might be some mining. There's water. Water is important. But outside that, it's, it's mountainous regions. Mountainous regions don't bring money to state budgets. They take money away from state budgets. Anyway, don't tell this to nationalists. They don't know about it. But what, what is important is that those villagers, those uh, simple people who don't have the possibilities of taking political decisions, economic decisions, intellectual decisions, we offer them the, bo- the best we can so that they have normal lives, so that they don't feel insecure, so that they don't think about their, their neighbor as the, as the beast who might come and attack me and kill me. And, and here, again, I come back to our, our responsibility because we didn't do our responsibility as, as a social group, as intelligentsia, and we should assume this, be able to look forward and be able to offer solutions to those people who can't do that for, uh, for themselves. The, re- real quick, wait, I mean, sorry, you're, you're muted just because we had an echo. I do want to pose a question. Of course, feel free, I mean, to respond to anything you'd like to, but I do want to pose a question that I'd like to hear from both of you. After, after that, we're going to do final thoughts because we're already closing in on an hour. The conversation will not be over. We're going to move to the after party on Discord. But I just want to know what, what, what measures you think each government can do today to bring us closer to whatever process we're, we're looking to achieve. Um, okay, so I will uh, combine my uh, comment to Viken with answering your question. So Viken said that, you know, Karabakh has only mountains, so there is no oil, there will be no investments, and, well, yes, there is no oil, true, and nobody will rush there just on their own to come and invest there. But I think that this is exactly the challenge. This is exactly what governments could do. I mean, in my view, if, for example, let's, let's, let me talk about government of Azerbaijan. <clears throat> uh, I am, and I'm afraid that uh, the government in Azerbaijan and people in Azerbaijan are in euphoria, you know, like, oh, we solved the conflict. We, we did it as we wanted. So now, you know, it's over. Um, I, I don't think it's over. I don't think that, and I think that Azerbaijan has now a chance uh, to make steps, you know, graceful steps towards Armenia. 
And I'm not going now to say which steps. I think this is a, there should be a very serious consideration, discussions about what these steps could be, you know. Uh, but one of the things that Azerbaijan should do uh, internally, I mean, Azerbaijan needs to do very serious economic reforms, uh, liberalization of economy that will hope eventually lead to the liberalization of political system. I think that uh, we can exactly use uh, Karabakh as a place where there will be, you know, you don't need, um, you if you create special conditions, if you create certain incentives, you know, in Karabakh, uh, let's say both, I don't know, Khan Kandi and Shushi or Shusha, where you would uh, bring, where you would attract talent, uh, tech talent, for example, uh, where you would create, um, try to create, you know, financial hub, tech hub for the region to find the niche, you know, in global supply chain where exactly this region could um, start being developed into something special, into, uh, you know, machine where you will produce opportunities uh, you know, where you will have financial capital and so on. Um, uh, you know, saying that these are mountains, it's not possible. I mean, I can name you countries where there was nothing, you know, and out of nothing they created, you know, um, uh, financial heavens or, or not just financial heaven. It is possible. Of course, it's difficult. I agree with you. I mean, uh, I don't want to sound like a complete naive dreamer, but I think that if we're talking about what, and this could be another area of cooperation. I think, again, I want to repeat, if we would, instead of fighting each other, just imagine Armenia, Azerbaijan, that were fighting each other at least for the last 30 years. Imagine that energy, that resources, uh, that human brain that went into fighting each other. And now you ask yourself for what? And also not just fighting each other and wasting it, but also blocking, you know, I think much more brain power and opportunities and benefits that we all could have together, we have killed for each other, you know, and for all of us. So if we can find a way to unblock it, and again, using Azerbaijan oil, using, you know, Armenian diaspora, using talents, you know, when I see that so many Azerbaijans, when they go you know, abroad, they, they achieve so much, or look at Armenians, you know, they achieve so much more in the world rather than in Armenia itself. If we could combine all of this, you know, and try to turn from hate mood to love mood, to cooperation mood, to, you know, collaboration mood, uh, and I'm sure we will be able to find a way how to turn Karabakh in a very special place where at the end of the day, and I, and I want to say something else here, you know, I really feel ashamed that uh, for both Azerbaijans and Armenians, that in 21st century, we're still fighting for the piece of land. It's very small piece of land. I think that we need to find a way to develop infrastructures there where at the end of the day, you know, you will not need a passport to live, you know, in Khan Kandi or Shusha or Baku or Yerevan. So, you know, I think that we need to think about this. We need to dream about this. We need, not at once, it's not going to happen at once, but we need to start developing small projects, opening communication borders, 
do reconciliation. So in maybe that sounds crazy now, and I, I I don't want again to sound that I'm not saying let's open borders immediately so people go and then some incidents happen and then it actually helps nationalism and you know fascism to to flourish in both countries. No, I think there are ways to do it carefully, to do it in selected way. It should be you know national. Uh, I was actually very very much glad that there was a meeting of you know basically heads of uh, national security agencies, you know. I think it was even on territory of Armenia, if I'm not mistaken. And it was without Russian mediators, by the way, which I, I noticed that it was in January, I think, this meeting. Uh, so uh, such meetings should happen. And this, again, governments, because we cannot do this, okay? We cannot, you know, we can protect, people can protect. But at the initial stage, it should be if both governments give signals that this is okay, and they will not do it at once, but they will do event, okay, in one village, another village, which will be protected, you know, if needed by security forces or by... So it should be gradual process. And, and I think that when people see that the governments are okay with this, and then when they will see that there are projects and ideas that, again, can benefit both communities, this hate, this... Um, this mutual destruction mood, I think it will fade away very fast. I also want to add something here uh, about Russia's role or, or role of outsiders. You know, it, it is a strange, uh, it's strange like um, when Azerbaijan and Armenia became independent in 1918. So for two years, Azerbaijan and Armenia were fighting. And only when Russians came, you know, fighting stopped. And I, I, I'm not in support of Russians, you know, coming... And, and occupying Armenia and Azerbaijan. But what I'm saying is that, uh, as, as we can said, I'm not saying it's good or bad, it's a reality that, you know, Russia, Turkey played, played a role, and we have to look at this reality and use it for the benefit of the people. So my question, question I'm asking myself is, how can I, and let's say my or our allies, use this situation, okay, to move forward? Because we cannot change the reality, but we can take this reality and use it, you know, to 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 our advantage. Uh, and I, I I think that yeah, that the regional powers or or international powers again, uh, we can say that nobody will come rush. You know, when I look at leading American Democrats uh, representing certain positions, you know. Uh, which are, um, in my view, this, for example, doesn't help create peace and security between Armenia and Azerbaijan. But they represent these positions because their uh, Armenian constituency wants them to represent certain positions. Okay. Now imagine we change that. We Armenian constitu constituency says, okay, you know, we want you to commit, uh, you know, part of you know American budget or development budget to certain ideas that, let's say, this circle of Azerbaijan and Armenian scholars are proposing, and these are good ideas, this will help peace and security. Again, maybe this is totally unrealistic, and that's exactly not the mood there in that community, but we need to have to start moving there, and we need to, uh, and I know this frustration and people are tired and many people in both communities think that these ideas are not realistic. But I think, again, 
if time to try, if there is a time to try, you know, again, then it is now. And we have to, we have to try and we have to build this dialogue again, very carefully with the very selected um, uh, groups or numbers of individuals uh, who can, you know, represent, in my view, governments, uh, civil societies, businesses, creative part of our societies. Because I believe that even if you talk about governments, I don't think that everyone in Azerbaijan government is the same. I don't think everyone in Armenian government is the same. Again, even when we talk about selecting people with whom we talk in government, we should be also selective about it. And the same with scholars, the same with, you know, public figures and so on. But in, in my view, there is just no, no other way. You know, we have to try this. Thank you, uh, Emin. So, Vikin, feel free to respond. I would also like to hear from you what what measure you think governments can take, and then we're going to wrap it up with final thoughts. Me, I think governments should stop hate speech. This is their responsibility. And governments also should stop taking steps uh, which the other community feels threatened by it. Just one example. I read in the news that uh, in Shushi slash Shusha, there will be a school built by uh, the nationalist Turkish party MHP, uh, which for Armenians will be a sign of threat. So the, the party that sponsors the Grey Wolves coming and establishing a school in, in, the, in the middle of, of Karabakh, it's a bad message to Armenians. It's also a bad message to Russians and to Iranians. So I, I don't understand these kind of steps. And I call governments, both governments, authorities in Baku and Yerevan, to stop these kind of provocative steps. And, but I, I don't want just to stop with governments. I think it's also up to the public, public opinion, to take up its responsibilities, and especially intellectuals, because governments had a chance, had 26 years where they monopolized the, the, negoti the negotiations on Karabakh. They did not inform their public what they were negotiating, and eventually they couldn't deliver. So let's not wait government again for years to deliver. It's also up to our responsibility. It's up to the citizens of these two, two countries. It's up to the intellectuals who form the public opinion to come up with solutions. Thank you, Vikin. We are uh, gonna wrap it up. Uh, you'll both have an opportunity for final thoughts. In your final thoughts, I'd also like to hear, you know, we spoke about a good faith measure from government. There's a lot of people watching this now. There's going to be, at the very minimum, tens of thousands more that will watch this after, you know, after the fact. I, I want to hear from both of you what the people can do, what everyday individuals can do, those watching, how they can contribute to this peace process. Um, I'm dropping a Discord link in the chat. So the conversation is not ending. We're going to end the live and then we're going to move to Discord. Discord is an opportunity for the community members to join in and speak directly with their guests. And even after the fact, we have a channel there dedicated to Armenia, Azerbaijan, where we hope Armenians and Azerbaijanis are going to engage in the reconciliation process on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what the Discord is for. And if you're new to this page, subscribe. Unless you didn't like what you saw, then don't. It's all good. Um, great. Final thoughts. I mean, um, um, well, as I said, I, I hope that, uh, we will find, uh, 
a group of people in Armenia and Azerbaijan uh, who will try to build this structured dialogue between two communities. Uh, I'm thinking about scholars. I'm thinking about um, policy professionals. I'm thinking about business community. Uh, I, I think that it is very important to carefully and honestly uh, uh, to talk each other and try to understand each other and to hear each other, uh, to understand and to feel each other's pain uh, and honestly ask what could we do for each other? How could we do it? Uh, with what steps, with which, with what phases, you know, because I don't believe that this is such a, you know, um, it, it is complicated and we cannot solve all issues at once. We need to have a strategy. We need to brainstorm. But we do not have to do it as people who want, you know, mutually destroy each other or, you know, we need to do it as two communities who will live next to each other, you know, forever. So there is no alternative. And the sooner we understand it, the sooner we start this dialogue. And it may take years. I don't know. It may fail again and then we'll have to start again. But I think that if we can start this process in good faith, uh, then the results will come. And as I said, I believe there is a unique and there is very important dynamics change now and things that have not worked before may at the end work now. And this is my message to all those who feel frustrated, who feel, you know, uh, that no, it's not going to work. These two nations just hate each other and it will stay like this for, I don't know, for for all for our next several centuries, I don't believe in this. I think that um, uh, we should. I, I agree with Vicky that we should rather try to do it ourselves rather than just uh, regional or other powers coming and imposing it, because it will happen. You know, like it happened in history before. So I think if if anyone if anyone thinks about national identity and pride, then you know they should think about doing it on our own rather than allowing others to do it for us. And I'm not against using others to achieve, you know, our common interests, but uh, I would, again, rather do it on our own with involvement allies and friends who can help us to do that. Thank you, Emil. So just to, to wrap up, you know, there's one precondition for dialogue that people listen to each other, people respect each other. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, my, my personal experience was that there's no problem for Armenians and Azerbaijanis to talk to each other. They, 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 they have common heritage coming from the Soviet Union. They, they saw similar movies. They went to similar schools. Now, because of this conflict, for the first time in, in history, Armenians and Azerbaijanis are separated. Uh, they, are, they still live next to each other, but not in Armenia and Azerbaijan anymore, not in Karabakh. They live next to each other in Georgia, in Russia, but not the, the way it was in the 19th century. Baku, Ganja, Shushi, Shusha, Yerevan, these were mixed, mixed cities. Uh, this mixity, this sense of cosmopolitanism is being lost today. 
The young generation does not know about it. And the young generation is full with these images of, of antagonism, of uh, animosity, of hatred, which is, which is full. But this can be solved on one precondition, that people are ready to listen to each other and then come up with what they have to say. And once they do that, once they are ready to engage in a, in a, in a dialogue, I'm sure they can find the solutions themselves. They will not need external experts, external investments, because these people lived next to each other for centuries. So I hope this will happen at last. And I thank you for organizing this debate. Thank you thank so you much, Vikin. Thank you, Amin. This was great. I'd, I'd love to have you both back on in the future. Um, as we all know, these conversations are important, so we should continue to do them. The conversation will now continue in the Discord. Once you join Discord, you will see on the left-hand side, it says Lounge. Click on Lounge and you will be connected. If you don't want to speak but want to type, you'll see it says Lounge Text right above Lounge. That's where you type. And uh, shout out to uh, the chat today, which was by and large respectful. These conversations can become difficult, but the chat did a great job. So thank you, chat. And uh, see you all in Discord. Oh, yeah. And we're, this Thursday, we have another debate between an Israeli and a Palestinian, Zahir and Gershon Baskin. So if you're interested, tune into that. Much love, friends.